This talk is in honor of the moonlight, the growing moonlight and the full moon this week. And mostly it's about um, the opening process of meditation. The context of it is on um, the enlightenment factors of investigation of energy and joyful interest. Uh, so that, keep in mind that these are the kind of energizing, awakening factors of mind, and that the other three, calm, concentration, and equanimity, are what um, helps us come to balance where we open. You know, so if you keep with the metaphor of uh, opening as a flower opening, and you think of, as a flower opens, it opens to the rain and the sun, you know, the pleasure and the pain. And when we're on a retreat like this, um, a lot of what's happening is opening for us. Uh, it's happening in our life, you know, our daily life as well, but it's like on the retreat, it, it's like we're um, cooking, you know, we're in this kind of incubator, and that opening occurs faster. But sometimes the, the feeling of the equanimity doesn't always feel like it's keeping up <laughs> with that opening process. And sometimes it's interesting to reflect on the enlightenment factors just to kind of um, be aware that these are coming in and out of balance for us. Also, you know, sometimes it could be that for you this retreat, you know, calm is just mostly developing. And it might be that the experience of investigation isn't so strong. So if you hear these factors, it's just to kind of give us this uh, possibility of the heart and mind being like this moonlight. And it's like in the, the, the Buddha used the full moon also as a metaphor for awakening. It's like moonlight is very different than sunlight. It has this quality where um, the light is coming to us within everything. Now, so truly, each moment, it's possible for us to be awake. It's like it doesn't matter if it's loneliness that is the doorway for us to awaken. It doesn't matter if it's knee pain or wanting. Each of these experiences, it's possible to be liberated through. And that's why that that um, metaphor of moonlight is so beautiful because really each moment has that capacity to have that light within it. It's mirrored. Mindfulness is like the rudder or the warp of the weave of this moonlight. You know, so when we talk about these factors of awakening, it's really important to remember that mindfulness, it's like assumed it's kind of being woven in and out of these. Um, and to remember that mindfulness is this experience of soft readiness, vulnerability. And that it's that quality of attention that can allow what is. Just allowing what is. So if we kind of take into consideration the talks of the last few nights of um, Susan, Miocian, and Patricia, it's like that context for um, receiving change and understanding change we get that sense that each moment is really newborn. It's newborn. It's alive. Uh, so to really have this quality of soft readiness requires this total letting go of the past. 
and it, it's these investigation energy, joyful inness that allows us to do this. It's, it's allowing us to um, be open and vulnerable. How um, the Buddha described investigation, that first awakening or opening factor of the mind or heart, is, is like if you had a dark room and turned a light on. It's this light that comes in the mind. And it's really any time that you go from the experience of like, oh no, it's boredom, to questioning that in some way. You know, that the darkness is that sense of, you know, oh, it's boredom, or, you know, just this, this feeling of kind of um, dullness, just a real foggy dullness, or just not being able to um, bring any kind of clarity to the experience. Uh, and that the way that we bring investigation into our heart, our mind, um, a lot of it is really just remembering. And some of it, it can be a kind of style. Uh, but literally, it's like if you're eating a banana. Uh, it's, it's any way you can cut through conditioning. Now, this is the same old banana you've eaten how many times in your life. You know, it's like, oh, you know, and that downhill plunge into mediocrity of experience. It's the same old thing happening over and over. Um, when I was raising my sister's children, I was really into um, watching sunsets, and I used to uh, force them to come with me to watch sunsets, thinking that, of course, you know, they were into it too. Um, and my middle niece, I guess, was putting up for it, you know, putting up with me for some years, just kind of going to the, I used to take them to this dump, believe it or not, this dump, we'd walk to this dump to watch the sunset, and the older daughter really didn't like to go, but she never said anything, and I thought the middle daughter liked it, and then my little nephew, Tony, he just loved it, you know, he was young and bounced along, and one day we were watching the sunset, and I was kind of, you know, ecstatic, and happy, and Tracy just, you know, she crossed her arms and looked at me, and she said, Michelle, it's just another sunset. (laughs) (laughs) It was the last time we went to the dump to watch the sunset. (laughs) It was so understated, you know, she didn't, she didn't put up a fuss, you know, she didn't scream and yell, but it was like she'd had it, you know. It's just like she didn't have this ability to really, like, get into it like it was for the first time, you know. It was just like endless dukkha for her, you know. It's like years of not seeing that, you know, there was this possibility for beginner's mind. Um, you know, so how many times do we take a step and have that experience. It's just another sunset. You know, it's just another step. You know, it's just like the breath, a sound. You know, it's just this, uh, it's unbearable. You know, it's just this vulnerability of this repetition. It's just unbearable. This is the lack of investigation. You know, so the way that we encourage working with that is just any way, like even if it's a little bit of a candlelight, it doesn't have to be, you know, electric, uh, you know, dazzling light, but it's just asking ourselves again that question, what is this? Free from any past idea about it, free from any past concept. If you can't, if you can't bring any light, fine. Let it go. You can't force this quality of investigation. 
but certainly one can check in once in a while and see if it's possible. And if you can't, you just shift back to concentration. You can do an, an open, open concentration, but it's just that sense of trying to synchronize the attention with the movement of the breath, the movement of the steps, kind of just being with sound. But it's just learning how to be here lightly, you know, without trying to get to the bottom of things or to go deeper or to force going deeper, force uh, seeing with more light. It's okay that it's just another sunset. You know, sometimes it is. You know, when the rain hits again, you know, when (laughs) these days, when the sun, you know, has been coming out at sunrise, and I'll be like, oh boy. And then the way the, the pattern has been lately is I'll be sitting in interviews and the sun's out as I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh boy, after lunch, I'll go out for a walk in the sun. And it's just, it seems like every day the clouds come in and just around noon, I'll look out and it's like, <laughs> and I don't go, oh boy, what is rain? <laughs> Free from my past ideas about it. <laughs> That's not my first thought. It's, oh no, you know, it's raining again, and, you know, Joe, what's, you know, who's, uh, who's orchestrating this? Uh, so, it, you know, th- it's okay to, s- to have that reaction of, oh, or not seeing it clearly, but then I can see my mind doing that and go, oh, you know, can I cut through this? What is rain? What is this resistance to this experience? Is it okay? You know, and when I just go out in it, what's so unbelievable about this kind of stuff, whether it's eating a banana or peeing or brushing our hair or brushing our teeth, you know, any of this, again, repetition, is how when you actually get there for it, it's fine. It's like the rain is wonderful when we let it just be and receive it. Investigation is the beginning of that ability to go from that soft readiness to just kind of questioning the conditioning. Just bringing that light in. So you can see how that's what's determining the openness to the experience versus the closing off. Oh no, rain or... Oh, (laughs) can I open to this? But the opening is coming through questioning the conditioning. The opening also leads us to not only allow the experience, but really not to identify with it as I or me or mine. So, for example, with boredom, you know, we can look at that word, and that word in our culture is so threatening. You know, look at the coffee, the caffeine, the the high energy, you know, how, how much our culture just doesn't like laziness or sleepiness or low energy. Um, so boredom is something that most of us don't have a clue is okay to go through. You know, it's just, it just seems like it's the worst thing you could possibly imagine going through is boredom. So again, it takes this questioning, you know, what is it? And then this sentence, I am bored, is very different than the experience of boredom. Yeah, I mean, when it becomes, I am bored, it gets deadly and, and lethal. And it's like that with anything. I am lonely. I am needy. I am whatever. It's just, it's lethal when it becomes that fixated. That's identification. You know, we have become this thing rather than this experience that appears, lives, and disappears like the movement of the breath. Investigation is really what helps us question this. Not only is it just, oh, what is boredom, free from past ideas about it, and to really look at, well, how does the body feel? How does the mind feel? And usually when we question it, it's not boring anymore. We might be low energy, we might be tired, 
but we cut through that. And then we cut through the sense that it's referring back to me, or I, or mine. This is what um, helps us to go into unknown territory. So each moment it's possible to go from what we think is how something is, just another sunset, to really going into it really is for the first time. When we say, I am bored, you know, that, we, th- that has nothing to do with anything. It's crazy. It's madness. It's just an interpretation about some <laughs> physical sensations or some, you know, thoughts. It's like, and we just don't question it. Though the opposite of investigation is not only this kind of dullness, but we often slide into fearing that we're not doing it right, and that something's wrong with us, and we go into doubt, you know, then we can get into the sense of failure and worthlessness than the, you know, the despair and the bottoming out. You know, and that, that hopelessness, to be able to connect with that is wonderful. And I'll talk about that in a while in terms of being able to really cut through the conditioning around hopelessness. But just in, in regard to just this, this factor of awakening, um, it's really, again, to see that when we don't question, we disconnect from the truth and disconnect from the truth. And that's why we're thinking we're not doing it right. And like I said before, if you can't have this quality happening, it's fine. Just lighten up. Back off. Have some humor. I am bored. You know, you know, kind of stomp around and be bored. Go outside and have a fit. You know, just like do something. Just, you know, it's okay to just have some humor with it. I'm the most bored person in the whole world. (laughs) 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 Poor me. Poor me. We can get into this incredible self-pity. Poor me, poor me, poor me. It's great, you know, just kind of exaggerate it. Okay, the next one is energy, courage. It's a very interesting translation, you know, to, to get a sense that um, energy is actually courage. And, and what does that mean for us in terms of, again, the question is that these are awakening factors or enlightening, and that um, that movement from that kind of question, well, what is happening to courage? So courage implies that this is hard. Courage is, the word courage is implying that it's not so easy for us to actually be with the truth of how things are. So Upandita uh, translates this as the courage to come face to face with what's happening. It's, it's a beautiful translation. And you know how personally we take energy. And I found that the crux of being somewhat okay in practice was learning not to take energy personally. So when you're low energy, you know, it's just, you know how it is with low energy. You tend to not be able to do this stuff. And we feel more discouraged, and you have to be really careful. It's like driving in fog. One has to be really careful not to get into self-hatred attacks, doubt, And it's absolutely not personal. And when I started to get that, that in low energy I was more vulnerable, more susceptible to my old karmic knots, to the patterns, and to again do what I'm saying, which is try to be here lightly, and to not have to be the best yogi, the perfect yogi, um, you know, just to compare ourselves with ourselves, but to just, it's okay to just be here with a step a breath, and not understand it. (laughs) Heaven forbid. You take a breath like a normal person. You know, it's okay. (laughs) What does that mean, you know? (laughs) 
And then high energy is when I would take it really personally, like, I'm the best yogi, I'm doing great, you know? And it's just like, that's when you can usually do this, these awakening factors better and you feel like everything's coming together. Um, and that's not personal, because that's determined by energy. You know, and when you, st- again, this, this, this ability to get that, that the ups and downs and the ups and downs of energy are just our energy rhythms. And it, the practice will come together and fall apart, come together and fall apart accordingly. And that it's okay. I went for a bike ride uh, just before this retreat started um, with someone on staff. And um, we went to this hill that I find is really, it, it's, it, it's always been beyond me to even attempt it. So I just assumed that I'm going to get off the bicycle and walk up the hill. And this person had just the right kind of touch, was sort of encouraging me, you know, he went off ahead to kind of try to do it. And I mean, I just started that totally with this idea that, okay, I'll go part way and get off the bike, you know, and he was going up and up, and I thought, well, maybe I'll try, uh, and I, I kept going, and then halfway up, it's like my, I mean, my breath sounded like I had a huge respiratory ailment, you know, I mean, I just <laughs> couldn't believe the sound of my breath, and I thought my heartbeat was, and I was sweating, and it was like, I just, my first thought was like, why am I doing this, like, you know, it just, I couldn't figure out, why would I do this to myself? <laughs> and then the next thought is I was going on and I, you know, it was just like, uh, like, it was like, is this really good for me? Like, you know, it went from questioning why to like, this seems seriously not okay. And then <laughs> I was convinced three quarters of the way up, this is not good for me. You know, it's just like, and I did it, I did it. And I was like, why did I do that? <laughs> I was like exhausted and I could hardly think of like making the trip back. And we're going along and it's, you know, I think of a hill as just a little knoll, you know, and this, like IMS is so interesting because if you bike ride, you know, we're up high, right? So anywhere you go, it's a long trek up back. And I know it, but I try to avoid, you know, the, the big hills. And so this is going back kind of, you know, you're gradually going up. But then there's this one hill that has always been challenging for me. And when we went up it, it was relatively easy compared to this other hill. And it was so fascinating, like, just to see, like, just in the course of, like, 15 minutes, that hill became a piece of cake. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it takes effort, but I saw how this other hill had strengthened me. You know, and this is how the practice is for us. It's like we stretch in places that are unthinkable sometimes, and sometimes that is just around boredom. You know, if boredom is one of your issues, you know, or it could be loneliness, it could be aversion to somebody next door to you in the dorm or you now there's somebody here in the hall that, but there's something that's often very challenging for us and will it's so hard i know how hard this is and we have to stretch just like going up that hill and we'll you know we'll just can't even remember why would we be you know trying to be with this sound that is killing us it seems or whatever it is and and lo and behold we find out that it's strengthening us to, again, we forget, but it's like to open to that part of life, to that part of human experience. Remembering that when you open, you don't get to pick and choose what we open to. We open to the pleasure and pain. When we close, we close off to everything. The Buddha um, described the relationship between these factors quite beautifully. So there's that ability to kind of question conditioning itself, 
with investigation. And then the courage is really, again, that ability to bring the attention to the truth of just what is. Not so much, again, it's not what we want the experience to be, but just how it is. And then it's said that if we can do that, and this, this is not that we do it all day. This is doing it in one moment. And it's not dependent on whether we're on retreat or not on retreat. This doesn't depend on a buildup of concentration. This is just in a couple of moments this can happen, that we, we get this ability to open up with that light. We bring our attention to what is. And it's said, again, we can't force this, that when we do that sometimes, joyful interest arises. And the Buddha called this the gateway to enlightenment. Joy is the gateway to enlightenment. And it's such a beautiful description. And it doesn't mean that often that it's the joy that we're used to um, describing that word in our daily life. It's a joy that's interested in pleasure or pain. You know, so that's why it's called joyful interest. And it really requires um, a heart that is soft. You know, sometimes it's, I describe it, it's like the soft heart of a child. You know, there's usually a sense of kind of um, awe, an awe that we can actually be with something painful. Um, joy of surrender. You know, when you surrender to something that's really painful, it's magnificent. It doesn't change it to pleasurable, but it's magnificent that us humans that are so resistant to pain have these moments when we, we, when we can open to it. It's amazing. You know, when I, I feel like um, just sitting in this hall with you this morning and hearing the questions and being and it's such an honor to be in interviews with you and to just feel, again, it's like this magnificence of this opening process. And you don't always get to see it from that angle, but I, I can assure you that you have opened so much in these weeks, but you, off, you don't have anything to measure it by. If you ambled into a store downtown, you would have something to measure it by. I don't recommend it. But, you know, <laughs> it's like there's a quietness and an openness. And it's out of this openness that we can purely explore. So it's out of joyful interest that pure exploration can happen. And that's what distinguishes mindfulness. You know, and we're not just doing concentration practice. We're not here to just develop this rest and strength of rest and tranquility. We're here also to explore the unknown each moment, because the truth is the unknown is each moment. It's newborn. It's alive. It's a wild ride we took birth into. We just keep on rocking. <laughs> <laughs> So the pure exploration uh, means that the heart is pure at that moment. It can just be a moment. Isn't it? I mean, it's unfathomable to think that we can be interested in the experience of hopelessness. What a feat for us as humans. And you can feel like just the thought of that, the joyful interest that can come from it, even if we're not in the mood, <laughs> you know, just to, just to know that it's possible brings light to the heart or the mind. I've noticed for myself and others that when I have been in a very deep place inside, that often this... Um, very deep aspiration to be liberated arises. And this is natural for all humans. You know, that when we hit this place of depth in our heart, that it's natural for us to wish for whatever we need to happen to be liberated. But when that happens, you know, that somewhere down the line when we actually receive what it is that we need to be liberated, 
it's usually not what we ordered. You know, and it's kind of like, it's like, oh no, you know, I can't believe this is happening. But it, that's what happens. It's like if we put out a wish, which anyone in this room, if you're here, you've done it. You, you have that wish. You know, y what you're struggling with at this retreat is what you got. <laughs> it's inevitable and it's greatly ironic and when joyful interest is present one can even have gratitude <laughs> for it and appreciate it <laughs> so joyful interest is the deep delight in the truth Deep delight in the truth. And this isn't dependent on pleasure and pain, and that's why it's so liberating and wonderful. So again, uh, the doorway to enlightenment happens in any moment, and we tend to think that it has some special, you know, there's some special experience. But it's just what's on the surface. It's any time you're with whatever. It doesn't matter what it is. And we, it's like it's so hard for us to get that, that it's sitting here right now listening to this talk, sitting on your cushion. It's when you lie down to go to sleep. When I go visit my niece, great nieces, four, she just started um, preschool last year, and somehow they're into whatever she learned in school. She loves to kind of stick her butt out and go, poopy pants. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's so funny. It's like, you know, when you come out of the meditation world, when I go visit her and she sticks her butt out and goes, poopy pants, it's like such a great comic relief, you know. <laughs> and it's like, it's so funny to her. You know, so I guess it's because, you know, when you leave diapers, you know, you're so close to that experience that the kids all, like, think it's hysterical to say it, you know? Poopy pants, you know? And you can be liberated thinking, poopy pants. You know, it's, this is, it's true. You can be liberated with just total rage. You can be liberated every experience that happens. It all takes this little minor detail, joyful interest, the deep delight in the truth of that moment. I wanted to talk about um, my experience over the last few months with my dad um, before he died. And um, it's kind of around working with his anger and my anger in relationship to his anger. Um, and the reason I am is because it has this quality of such dukkha and such difficulty over my life. And also, um, it felt like uh, that rage facing it was so liberating. Um, and that, you know, I want to give that example because, again, I think we tend to think that this liberation happens just with a breath or with some bird sound somewhere, you know, that it, that it doesn't happen with opening to hopelessness or opening to whatever um, fear. <laughs> you know, so uh, my father had been a fighter pilot in World War II, a very famous flying ace, and, and what made him really good at that um, made him 
very difficult at home because he couldn't switch out of that modality. Uh, and basically he had no fuse. You know, it would have been nice if he <laughs> had a little fuse, but he had no fuse. And as he got older, it got worse rather than better. And I was his scapegoat like that. It was almost like um, my girl vulnerability, uh, just his fear of that just would set him off and he would scapegoat me and attack me. So that was sort of our relationship. But I didn't cave in like my sisters. I would always fight back. So that would make it worse. That was our dynamic. That was our process. And then he'd just like wallop me and it was horrible. You know, it was a horrible uh, relationship. Um, And he had his good sides. I'm not saying he didn't have his good moments, but this kind of (laughs) colored things a bit. Uh, So so a a few months before he went in, no, yeah, a week before he went into the hospital, there was so much, I mean, there was so much pain in my family, and nothing, he never, my mother died when I was 13, and he didn't even mention it, like it wasn't even talked about, you know, there were, I mean, it's, I could go on and on, but like there were liquor bottles hidden all over the house that my mother had, and it was never even mentioned that she had a drinking problem or, you know, this is serious, like not talking about things, right? And so I don't know what he was thinking, but I think he thought he could resolve it all because I, I think he knew he was going to go soon. So he decided to take my older sister and I to this the graveyard where my mother is buried, um, and he, he's never been there, and my sister's never been there. So this is odd, right? And I've been there you know, quite a bit. Uh, so um, it was just the setup, right? You know, and my sister is, is a nervous wreck, and she's already, this is 10 in the morning, and she's already got her flask of wine, and she's chain-smoking. So I knew, you know, this is going to be great. You know? <laughs> <laughs> this, this is, like, really going to be fun. And I got these flowers, you know, and, and we head out, and we get to the graveyard. And my father doesn't know where the grave is, but he doesn't want to admit that he doesn't know where it is. That's kind of like how it always was. So he's getting madder and madder. And see, like me telling him where it was, this, this, I knew it was going to set him off, so I'm waiting. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six. And I said, and I reverted back to this little kid. I went, Dad. <laughs> I was in the back seat, and I go, Dad, it's over there. <laughs> <laughs> and my father, okay, gets furious, you know, and he's like, ah, you know, and he, he like puts the car in reverse, and you know, he just um, almost knocks over this grave, like he came this <laughs> far from it, and he's like yelling and screaming at me, and he like almost hits this thing, and I go, great, Dad, that was good. You want, you know, hit it, Dad. Why don't we hit the next graveyard? <laughs> like I just got really angry back, and then. <laughs> So he gets, he goes into this fit, and he puts the car in reverse again, and he goes into this fountain. He hits this fountain. I'm like, great, Dad. Like, go ahead. You know, I think you should hit another fountain. Like, you know, I was just like, like, it was so bad. And he's like, God damn, you know, and I'm like, God damn, you know, like, we just like, we're not only saying that, that was like a lot of the F words as well. (laughs) And it was incredible. You know, it's like, I couldn't believe I got caught in this. I mean, it was like, just like being a kid with him again. And I thought he was just going to kill me. And I thought, you know, but now, you know, he was weak and falling apart. And, you know, so like my sister (laughs) was having a heart attack in the front seat. (laughs) She was drinking. And it, it just like went silent. And it's like, in that moment, I felt so horrible. It was like, I just, I just got this vow. I just took this vow, I am not going to do this again. I'm not going to get caught in this dynamic again. And it was so pure, and it was so strong. And I just said, Dad, you know, it's like, let's just try to aim the car. <laughs> over there, you know, and it was just like silent, and you know, it was kind of a grim um, ritual, (laughs) like we put the flowers on the grave and got out of there, but it was just like this shift for me, 
And it wasn't like my sister shifted or my dad shifted, but something in me shifted. And then, you know, then he fell and I had to get him in the hospital and I put him in a hospital he didn't want and he was furious at me. He screamed at me all through the whole, he was furious at me the whole two months in the hospital. Um, and I worked with it. It's like I was just determined for him not to ever get to me like this again. And there were times when like these huge doctors, you know, these tough South Boston doctors, they'd come out of the room and they'd look at me and they'd say, I can't believe you grew up with this guy. And I'd say, are you all right? You know, like, and I, it started getting into this, you know, relationship with these doctors, like to take care of them as they were coming out of the room. I, and this one sweet little neurologist, she came out and she looked at me and she said, extremely combative. <laughs> so, there's endless stories about this, you know, but like at the end, um, uh, it was sort of the highlight, the peak experience of my family sort of getting together that I described in the last talk, and that sort of went by. And then it was like the night, the night he was just about to die, and my sister brought two big things of wine in the hospital. Like, they were huge, and she drank them all. And this, like, it was this incredible high drama goodbye scene. I mean, it was, like, incredible. It was, like, three hours of just... It, I, it was truly amazing. And the rest of us were sort of sitting there, like, oh. And my father was, like, kind of putting up with it, putting up with it, putting up with it, putting up with it, putting up with it. And everybody was putting up with it, putting up with it, putting up with it. And then she left, because she can't handle the scene, you know, the death scene, really. And my niece, actually, who's the oldest niece, who's fundamentalist Christian, it was really her and I that had it in us to be with them, because we have the most faith. And it was quite interesting to watch that, like to see that connection that we had. So she went up, she's really sweet, and, you know, she's just so sweet and open, and she went up to him, and um, this is in the context of a three-hour goodbye scene, hysterical scene, and she put her hand on my, my father's hand, and she said, Grandpa, and just, just so sweet, Grandpa, it's like, don't worry about anything, just go toward the light. But she, you know, and, and there's, you know, nothing, and, and she said, Grandpa, you know, just go toward the light. <laughs> and she said it like, three times, like, Grandpa, it's okay. <laughs> Just go toward the light. And my father is paralyzed, you know, like, he, he's about to die. And it's just this monstrous sound. Like, it was just this monster came out, and it was like, I don't want to go toward the goddamned light! <laughs> <laughs> And it was just like, it felt, it felt like everybody in the hospital ran out. I mean, it was just like <laughs> incredible. It was just total rage, you know, just, I, it was unbelievable. And she was just like, started sobbing, you know, and everybody, I said, okay, everybody, it's time for grilled cheese sandwiches, you know. <laughs> You're out of here. You know, my whole family cleared out, you know. It was, they were gone, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, God, of all the things that I worried about for my dad, it isn't like that he was going toward the light, right? You know, I mean, my whole lifetime, I've been not worrying about the light. You know, it's the darkness, <laughs> the hell realms I'm worried about. So I went up to him and I held his hand and I said, don't worry, Dad, you don't have to come to the light. In fact, this is not <laughs> the problem. <laughs> You know, and so he calmed down, you know. <laughs> and I even said, you know, Dad, you know, this isn't the worry. So I just held his hand. And, you know, this was, it's like my whole life, I never thought he would hit a moment like this. And, and, and for me, it was like I'd never seen my father afraid. 
And my whole life I saw him angry, like just anger, anger, anger. And I, I felt that attack, but I never felt that he was afraid of vulnerability. You know, and it was just like this moment where I saw that last just, and I saw that he was afraid. And it was incredible. It was just like a huge shift in my understanding. You know, and I held him, held his hand. He let me hold his hand. And it was like, um, I said, Dad, if you've been wondering what I've been doing my whole life, it's like, this is it. It's like, you know, you don't have to worry about the light. Let's just see if you can, you know, I'll stay with you. And what, what, what I want you to do is just not stop at the darkness. You know, it's like you can just, if you keep hitting the darkness, don't stop, go through it. And he, he squeezed my hand. And then just at the very end, it was sort of like amazing. It's like, this is what it took him to go through to receive. It's like he said, I appreciate all that you've done for me. I mean, and it's like, it actually took till today for me to receive that. It was just like, it was, in my, my life, it was so painful. And in that moment, it was like, wow, this is incredible. You know, for him to get that vulnerable was like this huge achievement for him. But I just like, I had had to like, for two months, just like be there and be there and be there and take it and take it. And I couldn't open to it, but I knew that someday I would. And that that would finish that process. So when I went to think about the talk tonight, it was like, wow, it's like joyful interest, that pure exploration, it's really what allows us to receive. You know, and I couldn't quite get interested in that place because I had to feel the pain of all those years where he couldn't do that and where I couldn't do that with him. You know, and so it, it's just like that process, it's like I'm so grateful that it happened last year because if it even had it happened three years before, I couldn't have done that. I couldn't have just stayed with it. This just stayed with opening to that anger, opening to that anger, opening to my reaction to it, my reaction to it. And then to just see that terror, that fear, and to allow it, and to encourage him just to go through it. It's like that's what we're doing here. That fear of the vulnerability you know, just that, just to be in the moment, in the present, just so that pure interest. It's hard for us human beings. You know, there was a song, Old Man River, that my father wanted to be played for him over and over. And um, he would sing it, except for these two lines. The two lines were, I'm so tired of living so afraid of dying. And when it would get to that part, he would just he couldn't get there for it. But look at us. It's like when I talk about that repetition of, you know, we wash our dishes, we eat, we bathe, you know, we come in the hall, we sit, we walk. So tired of living is that lack of investigation. It's just that repetition over and over of the same old sunset, right? And we get so tired of it. And look at the courage it takes to just cut through that and to just be here, letting go of the past with that unknown, and to be with whatever is, and that that's how we get liberated. You know, it's amazing. Allowing the light and the dark. (laughs) (laughs) At the um, end of the young adult retreat that we did this year, um, I mentioned before that we have a campfire. And there's this one, one young adult that had a crush on one of the young women at the retreat, and it was unrequited. And, you know, he, 
it's just, I think it was like his first crush on somebody, and it was just like he was devastated at just that this was unrequited. Um, and when we did this final circle in this hall, um, he was amazing. You know, he got up and he was crying, and he said, he didn't mention this, this um, crush, but he said, I just want everybody in this room to love me. And he's like, maybe 15. And it was really interesting because the boys his age all started crying. It was like he gave them permission to feel that vulnerability. Uh, you know, and I think that, again, it's like, what is it that keeps us so closed? You know, what is it that um, we're so afraid of feeling? You know, and it's all those things I've mentioned, and I can't go through them all tonight, but really, can we connect with that wanting to be loved? You know, can we connect with the sound of a bird, the sound of the geese? You know, it's like the cold autumn, the beautiful leaves. Again, that range to the loneliness, and just to just to have that sense, can we be interested in our human life? This is enlightenment. At the end of a um, People of Color retreat that I taught this summer uh, with Ralph Steele in New Mexico, there was a woman who um, had never been to a retreat like that, and she had scheduled a retreat for her family with Thich Nhat Hanh, so she had to leave the retreat a day early. And she didn't realize that she was going to get really connected with everybody on the retreat. Um, She'd never done one, so she had to leave a day early, and she came up to me, and and she'd gotten so connected with everybody in the silence, and she was crying. And then she thought she shouldn't be crying. She thought she shouldn't be missing everybody. She thought that equanimity meant that she wouldn't be crying. And I said, you know, you've really connected with everybody, so missing them would be natural. You know, it's like, it's okay to cry. You know, and sometimes we get this idea that somehow, you know, this practice of liberation would mean that if we connected in, we wouldn't, what, feel sad? Isn't that a little odd that we would think that? (laughs) But we do. We do somehow. You know, and it's very important to remember that if you're going to deeply connect, then you'll probably miss and that being in the present moment is just allowing ourselves to miss. It's okay. It's part of the process of life, of things changing. I'd like to um, end with a poem by Pablo Neruda. And before I read it, just to kind of sum up that... um, these qualities of investigation and energy, courage, and joyful interest are the qualities that they're not far away from us. You know, they're not some esoteric, far-off things. They're really close to us, and they can come at any moment for us, whether we're on retreat or off retreat. And they're the qualities that help us open to life as it is. The other factors that We'll talk about some other time, con- concentration, equanimity, or what allow us to feel, you know, that it's okay. You know, that deep e- equanimity is that unconditional acceptance of how things are. Um, and that we can all do this.
you know, it's, it's our human spiritual birthright to have this capacity to awaken. We can do it, and it's really just a matter of putting in our time. Pablo Neruda is uh, one of my favorite poets. Inadipama was like my root guru. Pablo Neruda is like my root poet. <laughs> and tr- this is called Ode to a Pair of Socks. Maru Mota brought me a pair of socks that she knitted with her shepherdess hands. Two socks, soft as rabbits. I put my feet into them as into two cases knitted with threads of twilight and sheep's wool. Wild socks. My feet were two wool fish, two big sharks of ultramarine crossed by a golden braid, two giant blackbirds, two cannons, My feet were honored in this way by these heavenly socks. They were so beautiful that for the first time my feet seemed to me unacceptable, like two decrepit firemen, firemen unworthy of that embroidered fire of those shining socks. Anyway, I resisted the sharp temptation to save them the way schoolboys keep lightning bugs the way scholars collect rare books. I resisted the mad impulse to put them in a golden cage and each day to feed them birdseed and the meat of a rosy melon. Like explorers in the forest who give up the finest young deer to the roasting spit and eat it with regret, I stretched out my feet and put on the lovely socks and then my shoes. And this is the moral of my ode. Beauty is twice beautiful, and goodness is doubly good when it concerns two wool socks and winter. Listen to that. He didn't even feel worthy. And it took, look, he almost saved them and didn't put them on. This is how we are with our life, our present moment experience. We have to face, are we able to receive life? Are we worthy? And are we, you know, savor, you know, saving it for something, you know, rather than just the risk, the risk of being alive, the risk of being alive, the courage it takes to really face what we are as humans. And when we're able to do it, you know, sometimes we're not, but when we're able to do it, beauty is twice beautiful, and goodness is doubly good when it concerns two will socks in winter. Let's sit for a minute. May we deeply know that we have the capacity to awaken fully ourselves and all beings.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.